Hello and welcome to this Endo Life episode 151. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an endo warrior, an endo health coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves, you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's <laughs> the patch in a bath bomb. Um, so, you know, if you're on your period or if you're in pain, you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them. I don't know, you could have multiple if you want. Um, and then yeah, get out the bath, maybe rub in some CBD balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU, which is buonline.co.uk, and you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. Okay, so today's episode is another recording from a live Q&A that I did. And this one, the theme is all about endometriosis and fatigue. Obviously, I'm not going to talk about it too much because you can just get into the episode itself. But what I want to say is if you really resonate with the questions in this or you want to learn more, then you can scroll back in my podcast feed. And I've done an episode on HPA axis dysfunction. In fact, I've done two. And so that's um, episode 139 and episode 141. And I refer to HPA axis in this conversation. Um, And so if you want to learn more about it, I would go to those episodes and take it from there because obviously you can only get so much from a Q&A call. Also, I'm still recording from Greece, from our bed, so this recording quality might not be um, as good. I'm trying to hold the mic still. I don't know if that's working or not. So before we start, I also just want to let you know that some of you may be aware that I've been thinking about doing an endo belly course, and I polled you guys on Instagram, and 96% of you said you would be interested in it. So I'm now taking it a step further, and I would really love to involve you guys. Um, I can't stop thinking about it. Nearly 100% of you have said to me you have the endo belly. So I, you know, in the course, in Live and Thrive, the course, I do cover the endo belly very extensively. There are two modules dedicated to gut health, and then there's an extra module, bonus module dedicated to SIBO, but um, they're the most, they're the kind of longest modules. And there's just so much to it that I have reflected. And, you know, if someone wants all of the information then and there on endometriosis, it's great. It gives you all of the info you would ever need for managing endometriosis holistically and naturally. But if someone really wants to, you know, focus solely on the endo belly and they really want to get that sorted 
like as soon as possible or start with that first, then I think trying to focus on those modules amongst all of the other recommendations in the course might be overwhelming. So I know that endo belly is just such an issue for so many people that I wanted to create something standalone and doing this free endo belly challenge. I've had such a huge response from it that I just could see that it's, you know, it's needed. And on top of that, I thought, you know, the endo belly challenge is great because it gives you guys the foundations to good gut health or some of the foundations. It, you know, we can't get through all of them in just four emails, but then it felt a bit, I don't know, um, just felt a bit almost unfair to be like, here's some hope, here's some ways to improve your gut health and then to just leave people to work the rest out on their own. So I thought that, you know, the endo belly free challenge is a great way to get started. But if people want to that can then continue that journey with my support, they can do so with an endo belly course. So it's not created yet. It's in the pipeline in the works. Obviously I've got, um, the kind of foundations of it from the live and thrive course, but that's going to be built upon and expanded and I'm going to change some of it. So if you are interested in the endo belly course, at this stage, I am only opening it up to founding members. And what a founding member is, is um, someone who takes the course, but prior to that, um, you're involved in the grassroots level of helping me develop the course. So you're gonna be answering questions about um, your gut health, your endo belly issues. Let me know what you think about the course idea and the content. It's not a lot of work. It's a questionnaire and a couple of emails but it helps me to make sure that I create a course that people actually need and is actually going to be helpful. So if you would like to help me with that and you would like to get in on the course at a, you know, discounted price, then you can sign up to the course for £80. It's going to be a four to six week course. Um, it is likely going to be priced at around £150. Obviously there will be an early bird option so it will be cheaper with early bird and there'll be a payment plan option of three months but as a founding member you can get the course for 80 pounds in exchange for kind of sharing your opinions and thoughts with me and you'll get lifetime access to the course no matter how many times it changes you'll have access to all of the updates um, as well so you get it for a discounted price and you have access to all of the future versions of it um, so if you would like to help me to develop this endo belly course, then just drop me an email at hello at this Just say yes, just write the word yes, and I'll get back to you with the next steps of how to do that. I'm only opening this for 30 uh, students. We're currently at about, I think, 18 or 20 students. So there's not many places left. So, and I'm closing the enrollment on Sunday at midnight. So if you want to become a founding member, just email me before Sunday and I will let you know if there are any places left and how to enroll. So anyway, that's that. Here is the show. So Joe's question was, does, does the fatigue get worse as like the longer you are living with endometriosis? And now my connection's poor. Um, so it really depends, Joe, on what's going on and why you have the fatigue. Um, in my opinion, you don't just have fatigue with endo 
just because it's not like a random symptom um and there are kind of varying sorry my internet keeps dropping in and out um there are various reasons as to why you would have that fatigue so it really depends on what what's kind of going on and whether you address that root problem so um this is going to roll into the other question like the main question i got was like why does it happen so i'll kind of explain them together so the maybe the most common reason why you would be getting endometriosis fatigue would be hpa access dysfunction and what that is is i'll try and do a very short science lesson see if i can see if i can shorten this um you have a system in your brain and body called the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal access and what this is is a connection between your brain and your pituitary and your adrenal glands that basically is in charge of your stress response so when you're stressed it triggers a reaction in your brain that tells your adrenals to make adrenaline and cortisol. So when that happens, you you know, your body will go through the normal stress response. However, the HPA axis is also responsible for your circadian rhythm, which is your sleep-wake cycle, right? So if you, and what happens is in the morning, as you're asleep, as in the morning, your cortisol levels start rising. So cortisol is not just your stress hormone. Cortisol is also your, it's like your energy hormone. It actually, it's what powers you through the day. So that will start rising in the morning whilst you're asleep and eventually it will, it will reach a point where you wake up. Um, and so you wake up and it will continue. I just stopped talking because the internet went weird. Um, it will continue rising for about an hour after you've woken up and you reach then it reaches its peak. Once it, this is the time when you should feel the most awake. And then once it reaches its peak, it will start to slowly decline as the day goes on. And it will it will kind of dip at 12 o'clock and then it will continue to decline, but it will be less sharp. You have another bit of a drop at around three, four o'clock. So that's why people get that afternoon slump. And then it will con continue to decline. So if you imagine this as the bottom of the graph, it will can continue to decline so that the sleep hormone melatonin which gets you ready for sleep it's not actually the hormone that keeps you asleep that's GABA um so that melatonin can rise so of course if you are experiencing high levels of stress and that's messing up your cortisol and your HPA access that's going to make mess up your sleep wake cycle and what happens is and this is a this is in the research like a thousand times um, is that when you go through periods of stress in the beginning your cortisol levels will be elevated so you'll feel wired you won't sleep properly you'll just feel you'll feel really anxious but over time and that and that's normal in a temporary state of stress Stress is supposed to be fleeting, especially if you think back to like cavemen days. Um, the risk was, you know, whatever was threatening us, we either died or we survived. Um, it was very black and white. 
now we're getting stressed from things all different things all the time everyday stresses like emails from our boss chronic inflammation um covid constant news cycles um sitting at our desks all day these physical and emotional stresses are happening to our bodies all the time so cortisol is kind of our hp access is always kind of um being cranked and it's it wasn't designed to do that and so eventually what happens is the body adapts cortisol at high levels is damaging to our body so the body adapts in in numerous ways and there are kind of different ways that this happens for people but your um your body can come resistant to the cortisol so it's it's being released but you're just not receiving it um or the adrenals become resistant to the signals being sent from your brain and so they stop making as much um cortisol or the feedback loop is interrupted so your body is like there's lots of cortisol in the blood so i'm going to stop send i'm just going to stop responding to these signals so either way the end result is your cortisol levels drop or your hpa access becomes dysregulated and how this would present if you think about that graph that i was just kind of talking about so you're asleep say it's 4 a.m then we get to like 7 a.m and then it peaks at like eight and then it comes down and then it sort of goes like that. What happens is that changes. That's called your cortisol awakening response. And that's what powers you through the day. That changes. So for someone who's really, really fatigued, you're you're kind of almost flatlining. You're just down here all the time. There's another one called the flipped curve. So someone's like really low in um, during the day and then they start rising at night. So that person will feel just tanked all the time. They're really exhausted, but they start feeling really wired at night. They're exhausted, but they can't sleep. They're just like lying. They're like, oh my God, like thoughts racing. Does anyone resonate? Does this, does this ring any bells? Um, you will wait just having, like no matter how um, much you've slept, you're feeling exhausted, you feel like overwhelmed by just normal everyday events. You can't deal with any stressful events. You tend to feel anxious or depressed all the time. So these are symptoms of HPA axis dysfunction. And what's really, really interesting is that the research has shown that the majority of people with endometriosis have low cortisol levels. And the majority of people with chronic pain have low cortisol levels. And the majority of people with pelvic pain have cortisol uh, have low cortisol levels. So this would be, in my eyes, the number one reason why we're having brain fog and chronic fatigue. And I just don't think that it's just the research is there like the research is absolutely there some of the top endometriosis researchers have written papers on this um i'm not sure why it's not more commonly talked about or recognized um and why we're just like oh fatigue is a random symptom of endo it's not random at all um it makes complete sense <laughs> um so i don't know why we don't more kind of talk about it in the context of hpa axis dysfunction and also, if you if we go back to what I discussed um, previously about pain um, and chronic pain and autoimmune conditions and chron um, chronic conditions, people who have had adverse childhood events, so trauma in their life, like divorce, um, a mental uh, 
a parent with mental health issues, um, unhappy childhood, um, illness in childhood, car accident in childhood, those kind of things. Sorry, this fly is really driving me nuts. Um, they, their cortisol, their HPA access is dysregulated from a young age. So I can't help but wonder whether this was not necessarily an effect of living with endometriosis, but actually an effect of childhood events, because we know that there's such a high prevalence of people with chronic pain conditions who did go through adverse childhood events. But either way, whether it was the stress of living with endometriosis and your pain that has tanked the cortisol, or whether it was already tanked, um, regardless, the recovery of that is the same um and i've given you guys the four kind of first pillars of repairing your hp access in one of my recent podcast episodes it's, it's literally called like tips to repair hp access dysfunction so i would go to that um and get started there or if you really want to if you want to do a deep dive into it and you're really feeling really really exhausted and you need some guidance obviously my course is out at the moment um for enrollment and that closes on Thursday the doors close on Thursday and it starts on um, Monday so I take you through it in that that would be the number one reason then you've got inflammation and inflammation causes mitochondria dysfunction so mitochondria are like the powerhouses of our cells they're like the key part of our cells that um, make energy from the glucose that um, they receive and when we have chronic inflammation they become impaired their ability to make energy becomes impaired so if you have low levels of antioxidants in your body and high levels of inflammation which we know from the research a lot of people with endo do then our mitochondria are likely going to be struggling so it's about lowering that inflammation and making sure that we're feeding the cells with the antioxidants that they need to make energy glutathione vitamins like E and C and D, all of these antioxidants that we know people with endometriosis are low in, zinc. So replenishing those and working on mitochondrial dysfunction. Um, and then gut health issues. So are you just not absorbing your nutrients properly? We know that many people with endometriosis have IBS. We know that seven, 60 to 70% of people with, with IBS um, 60 to 70 percent of IBS cases is actually small intestine bacterial overgrowth and we know that from the research at the moment up to 80 percent of people with endo have SIBO and SIBO loves to eat iron B12 it causes antioxidant deficiencies it affects our absorption of, um, of antioxidants it can affect our absorption of all of our macronutrients like protein carbohydrates and fat so causes really significant nutrient deficiencies or just suboptimal nutrient um, levels, which will affect the way that we feel and think. So it will cause like brain fog, it will cause fatigue, specifically iron, B12, um, folate and vitamin D. I would get all of those levels checked. Um, and then the final one that I would say is having low levels of 
magnesium and iron from stress and our periods so if you are the type of person who has heavy menstrual bleeding with your endometriosis and you will be losing a lot of your iron i see that happening a lot with my clients who have heavy bleeding and if you are stressed um and stressed from living with endometriosis and also you're having heavy um, heavy periods um then your magnesium levels will be low as well and that's a key energy um provider um and i would also say hormonal imbalances as well like if you're struggling with low progesterone or estrogen dominance those are going to be affecting your energy levels so i don't think it's a mystery symptom of endo at all i think there are some really really clear obvious reasons why and i would hedge my bets that low cortisol would be affecting most of us we know that from the research um you can get that tested it's called a car test i talk about where to get that tested in the podcast or and i, I take you through the testing and, and interpreting the graphs in the course um so joe going back to your question will it get worse well it depends what's happening right so if you have SIBO and that isn't identified and you don't repair SIBO or you don't repair your gut and you continue these nutrient deficiencies worse and without you identifying that you have them, then of course that will get worse, right? Because your nutrient deficiencies are getting worse and your body is becoming starved of your nutrients. Um, if you have low cortisol, uh, I don't know if that's going to get worse, but it certainly won't get better. If your energy levels are tanked, I don't know how much more tanked your cortisol could get so it's certainly not going to get better unless you address that and then you will probably emotionally feel worse right with that if if that's not addressed um because you're just continuously feeling overwhelmed and exhausted um so whether or not your cortisol levels physically drop mentally that's going to become more taxing for you um with I mean, it's the same with all of these, right? Um, if your nutrient status isn't addressed, if your gut isn't healed, if your cortisol levels aren't replenished, um, if your inflammation doesn't get lowered, it's like you're leaving a bus to rust. It's like you're leaving a car to rust, right? And you don't address it. That is naturally going to get worse. But that's not because the car is just going to rust because it's a car it's because you've left it in the rain and you've not been repairing it. Um, so I don't believe that just because you have endometriosis, your energy levels are going to get worse as time goes on. I believe that, and I and from the research, we know that um, mitochondrial dysfunction and low cortisol and low antioxidants and all of these things are real for people with endometriosis and if they don't get addressed then yes energy is going to get worse does that make sense like give me a thumbs up if you guys are following and if that makes sense just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU these natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to link in my show notes.
So I think that's why it's so important to, you know, replenish your nutrients with like a high antioxidant diet, low inflammation, um, test your cortisol levels when you can afford it or just follow this principles for looking after your cortisol levels. Thanks, Libby. Um, you know, you don't necessarily have to test if you don't have the money. Doing the... Um, you know, balancing your blood sugar, that's also a really big one that I see with a lot of people with endo. Um, and I think that is down to the microbiome um, because that affects how we metabolize, um, how that affects our blood sugar. Um, so that is another big one that I see, but I wouldn't say it's like, it's not because of endo. I mean, well, if you're stressed and that will affect your blood sugar, because um, it triggers your stress response and so then that releases you end up releasing um, glucose from stored from its storage uh, to power you through the stressful event so if you're stressed all the time that will be about your endo that will be dis dysregulating your blood sugar and that will really affect your energy so that's another one to consider um, so yeah I don't think it's just that that's what you're going to live with it's that it needs to be addressed and you don't have to test if you can't afford to test your hormones if you don't have can't afford to test your um cortisol then you can just follow the principles that um i talk about on the podcast and i go into much more detail in them and i give you a protocol on how to do them in the course that's out at the moment um and with the only one that i would say you really do need to test is get a, nu a basic nutrient panel done with your GP, if they won't do it, then um, there are some tests that you can get done online um, and also testing for SIBO. Like there's no other way around that. Like if you suspect SIBO at some point, you'll need to test. Um, so I hope that is helpful. I'm going to answer one more question that popped up earlier. Um, before I wrap up because I want to make these shorter because I would they were supposed to be like mini 15 minute um Q&A's and they never are I talk forever um Naomi is fatigue common even after endometriosis excision surgery so Naomi I don't know if we've got any research on that but what I will say from my um time as a coach um time with endo myself running um volunteer programs working at endometriosis uk all of my training um yes it is common after endometriosis uh, excision surgery and i think that is because i don't think that the fatigue is coming from the endometriosis itself i think the endometriosis will be contributing to it right because it's inflaming the area it's causing you pain so living with pain is difficult emotionally and also it will be affecting your um, stress response and that will be messing with your HP access, right? So yes, that will, it will be playing an indirect role and then the inflammation that the endometriosis lesions release into the area will be stressing your body um, and raising inflammation levels in your body. So that's going to be affecting your mitochondria. But I think that it really, if you're having a good excision surgery, then it's really about afterwards. But that's only one part of the puzzle. I mean, if 
if that was the only part of the puzzle, I would be an endometriosis surgeon. And I'm not, I'm, I'm you know, I'm a holistic endo coach because there are so many, there's so many factors that affect us with living with endo. So if you are addressing, if you want to heal to the best of your ability post phone, um, just gave me a low battery message, um, then it's really about kind of balancing your hormones post-surgery, balancing your blood sugar, lowering inflammation, that's going to help your body to heal, giving your body the nutrients that it needs to heal, and then doing the kind of recover the HPA axis recovery. So getting your cortisol levels back to healthy levels. Um, does that make sense, Naomi? It's really kind of a, a full body, full person approach. Um, and that excision surgery is only going to be one part of that puzzle. Let me know if that makes sense. Uh, Rebecca, period fatigue, any way to help boost energy after, after your period? I'm in bed during, but after I feel so washed out, taking B vitamins, but I'm exhausted after. Do not have anemia despite flooding. Rebecca, so my first instinct was like, if you're great, I'm glad that was helpful, Naomi. If you're tanked after your period, um, so your estrogen levels should be recovering, or your hormone levels should be recovering, particularly estrogen, by around day three. So I would do a basic hormone test, um, just an affordable one. You don't need to do the Dutch one, which is kind of a more advanced. Just get a basic day free test for your follicle stimulating hormone, um, your estradiol and your luteinizing hormone, um, kind of at a minimum. And then, um, so see what they're doing, make sure that they're rising properly. And if not, you need to put in some practices to support your hormones, um, making sure you're eating enough fat. If you've got, have you got enough nutrients? Are you super stressed out? Um, I don't know, Rebecca, let me know. Have you had your ferritin levels tested? Because some tests only test your total iron and they don't test your ferritin. And your ferritin is your iron storage. And so if your, if your iron levels are starting to drop, the first thing to go will be your ferritin. So that would be our key kind of indicator there. Um, magnesium as well that's harder to test so i would just really replenish your body during during your period with like magnesium baths if you don't have a bath magnesium foot soaks or magnesium spray i would probably say if you don't have a bath then magnesium spray or lotion following the instructions i think it's like 20 sprays a day is going to be the best way to get your magnesium levels up which can, like I said earlier, can be depleted during menstruation and during times of stress, both physical and mental. Um, and that is such a key driver. Whenever I start using magnesium with my clients, it's just a game changer. And most of us are deficient in magnesium, especially people who have periods. So um, we really need to keep that in check. I would also just get a basic nutrient panel done, Rebecca, get your vitamin D levels tested, your B9, your B12. Like you said, you're doing B supplements, but um, we need to check your ferritin levels and your D vitamin D levels. Top that, top up that magnesium. Also, what are you doing? Um, wait, hang on. I think you said you're in bed the whole time during your period. Okay, you're in bed during. Um, 
Okay, and you get flood in. So definitely I would check your ferritin levels and I would eat for replenishing your minerals and nutrients um, during menstruation. So um, I have made like a cycle sinking um, grocery list that you can cycle through. That's like for inflammation, periods, hormones and endo. Um, but Dr. Uh, Elisa Vitti has like an original kind of um, the cycle sinking method. So you can kind of incorporate some of those foods there. Um, so does that help Rebecca? Let me know. Um, I'm going to have to go because my battery's about to die. Um, but Dreamy Leaf, what's the best way to get your iron and ferritin levels up? So, um, I mean, it really depends. If your gut isn't too impaired, then, I mean, um, I understand how difficult this is and the ethics of this, um, given that, you know, <laughs> being vegan for seven years, but um, red meat is going to be more absorbed than plant-based iron for most people. If you're deficient, like super, super deficient, then you're obviously gonna need the um, high dose iron supplements from your doctor, right? If you're super deficient, then you can, then oral um, iron is gonna be the best way to go. If you, you know, you don't eat red meat, you're not low enough that you need iron supplements from your GP, um, then you can get, um, these oral sprays that are a good dose, they have a good dose and they absorb really quickly through the cheeks. So if you do have gut health issues and you're not breaking stuff down very well, then this is a really good one because it bypasses the gut and that's by Better You. I'm not affiliated, they don't know who I am, although they should know who I am because I talk about them all the time. Um, and then things like really strong nettle tea, cooking with cast iron pans, um, lots of like dark leafy greens, nuts and seeds, um, beans and pulses, but obviously like organic grass-fed sources of red meat. Um, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head about other sources of iron, um, but those would be the key ones that I would go through. But you're not, if you're low, it's gonna be hard just getting them up with plant sources alone. So I'd really kind of look at um, a good a good supplement until your levels are back up to optimum and then you can come off the supplement. So I hope that helps everyone. Um, Rebecca, I hope that was helpful. Um, I'm not sure if you're still on here. So hopefully that was helpful. Um, fingers crossed, Instagram's gonna let me post this. We'll see. Um, and yeah, I will see you guys next week for another Instagram Q&A. Bye guys, bye. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. 
as always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world. Thank you.